Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Happy 2021, everyone. Um, Oh my goodness. If there's ever a year to be thankful to be alive, it is legitimately this year. A huge thank you to all of you who listen to this podcast, who are part of our community, who have joined as a premium member, who are just working the hell out of your job and just, you know, supporting other women and just being the incredible people that I I know you are who are listening to this podcast. Um, I, I am so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful to have you as part of my network and the network that is so much larger than myself, which is WIM. Um, I am so personally excited of everything that is going to come in this year. We are so excited to bring you more resources, more everything that WIM has to offer. Um, kicking it off with a networking event. Uh, we have these monthly, of course, but our first one is going to be this Wednesday. We wanted to do it the first week of the year. And Clubhouse, man, it is such a thing. Um, we are absolutely going to be talking more and more about Clubhouse, which is like it's just such a cool, I love a good new social app. I mean, it's, and it's different and it's hot right now. Um, we'll talk much more about that in the Facebook community. We've already had lots of chats in there. Um, but I bring Clubhouse up because we are opening up our first networking event of the year on Clubhouse. So what we wanted to do is um, we are very well aware that not everyone is a member of Clubhouse because it's still in beta, so you have to be invited. If you don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) don't live under a rock. You work in social media. You need to know. Um, Clubhouse app, download it on your phone. Um, if If someone in your network is already on the app, you can get invited. It's a uh, an audio only group chat, basically, Um, discussions where you can call people up as speakers, everybody else listens, there are topics ranging from, you know, let's talk girl things to let's talk business to everything in between. Uh, It's very, it's huge right now. Everywhere I see on social media, everyone's talking about it. So we love a good new app and we are opening up our networking call. If you're a member, you always get events for free. Otherwise, it's just 15 bucks for this one event. How 
However, since we love Clubhouse and we want to support new apps, if you follow us on Clubhouse at WIM, W-I-I-M, of course, you can join the event for free. So we're opening up to those on Clubhouse if you want to be part of our event on Wednesday. So it's 1 p.m. Eastern this Wednesday, January 6th. Don't miss it. And again, as an uh, an inclusive an organization. If you are not on Clubhouse, you won't miss our event. Just go to our website, imwim.com slash events, and you can sign up and join via Zoom because we're doing both. Um, anyways, that's just one of the dozens of events that we've got planned for this year, both networking, educational. Um, I can't express to you enough how excited I am to bring you guys so much value this year. Anyways, uh, this episode is incredible. I we we chatted back in 2020. I'm so glad to be able to say back in 2020 because it's not here anymore. Um, you, I hope you enjoy it. As always, if you do, we would love it if you could leave us a five star review or an actual written review would be incredible. Most importantly, share this. Share this episode with your friends. Share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. Anybody that you think would gain value from this. We are a value-driven, purpose-driven community. And um, it's all about coming together and sharing information. So with all of that being said, happiest, happiest New Year to you and your loved ones. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Keep working hard. We're here to support you and wear a mask. (laughs) All right, guys, enjoy this episode. Seema Taluk is an intellectual property attorney specializing in digital media law and entertainment. She began her legal career in entertainment litigation, advocating on behalf of celebrities and public figures. Seema now focuses her practice on creatives in the entertainment, social media, and digital landscape as a founding partner of the law firm Create LLP based in Los Angeles, California. We are super happy to have her here today. Welcome to the podcast, Seema. So it is so nice to, uh, I'm excited to introduce you. We just heard a little bit about you in the intro to this episode. Um, But first and foremost, Seema, welcome. Um, I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for inviting me to to discuss all of this. Yeah, 1000%. You're like an expert in this area. I love that you're a small business owner yourself. You own your, you know, you are a practitioner in the space. And there are also so many questions that like consistently come up in the group because so many people on whim, they have such enthusiasm for influencer marketing, um, but they tend to approach it from either talent management perspective or an ad agency perspective. You approach it from a legal perspective. Um, and so while a lot of us are just guessing, or maybe we've, you know, we've heard that things are supposed to be done this way or the other, um, you really have the prowess to be able to educate us on a lot of things. So we're very grateful to have you here today. So first and foremost, please tell everyone, where are you quarantining? And uh, I'd love for you to tell everybody a little bit about how you got to influencer marketing uh, to where you are today, just in your own words. So share a little bit about yourself. Sure. So great question. I'm quarantining at home in Los Angeles, specifically Playa Vista, California. Um, I am a lawyer. I started out my legal career doing intellectual property and entertainment litigation. Um, And I think that was my first 
like step into the like so, like sort of into the influencer world because I was representing celebrities and talent in huge disputes um, for against right of publicity, right of privacy violations, um, defamation matters. So a lot of it was essentially where celebrities images were used without their permission. Um, and that's a huge deal also in the influencer space. Um, back then I was, I was doing, I was dealing with disputes and, and cases in court, which is very different than the type of work I do now. Um, I was practicing in that space for about three and a half years, representing celebrities like Reese Witherspoon and Sandra Bullock and Hulk Hogan in his crazy case against Gawker Media. And that was all like really fun, sexy Hollywood stuff, but it was at the end of the day, very contentious. And um, it was it was all dispute oriented. So people weren't in the best spirits when you know these cases were brought up. I really wanted to work more on the creative side and the media side in creating content and seeing how brands work with with um, with their clients and how companies monetize off of their reputations and their goodwill. Um, so I found myself working not exactly in the influencer space, but with independent filmmakers to create mostly documentary content. Um, but there I learned how to set up a business for a film, how to finance a project, um, how to protect intellectual property and everything from creation of a concept to distribution of the concept. Um, so that was really valuable. And I, I learned the nitty gritty of intellectual property and entertainment law. And at a certain point, as I'm sure many of the listeners can resonate with, I didn't really feel a connection to the traditional practice of law or the traditional practice in this entertainment industry. Um, because a lot of a lot of things in the entertainment legal world I found were were sort of like done as they had been done for years and years and years. And no one wanted to change um, the way that they were approaching new content. Like Instagram is fairly new, TikTok is even newer. And when you ask like a 75 year old lawyer how to protect IP assets in the TikTok space, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a real thing. That's not a real way to make money. Yeah. They're like, that's, what is, what is, can you start over? What's TikTok? <laughs> like, yeah, what's TikTok? What and they don't, they don't understand, right. They don't understand the value in it. But as we all know, there's so much value and so much money that comes from these deals. Um, so I left the traditional practice of law. I partnered up with a friend who's also a photographer working with many influencers and talent. So he has his own, he has his own little thing going where he was already sort of in the creative space, but it was really nice to partner with him. And we set up our practice create LLP in April of last year. So we're about a year and a half in. And initially it was, it was challenging because it was just the two of us. And I was probably, I think I was like a sixth year attorney. He was a fifth year attorney. So we've been practicing for a decent amount of time, but we had to just build our whole client base. Um, and, you know, there it, it was it was a little challenging, but over time and with, you know, doing good work and with references, referrals, the business started to pick up. And 
a lot of that was actually through different Facebook groups. So um, WIM has been very helpful. I also was part, I'm also part of a group called Freelancing Females, um, which is, which is also incredibly helpful. And it's so nice to, yeah. And it's just so nice to be involved with these communities of um, mostly women. I mean, this is women and influencer marketing, right? Mostly women who are making such a huge impact in the space. Um, and I feel like a, a lot of us at some point, I've, I've spoken to so many women in these groups, a lot of us at some point were told by our male counterparts that we would never make it. And here we are. So <laughs> good for good for all of us and everyone who's like participating and all the entrepreneurs, because I feel like we, we can get a lot done. 1000% like girl power there, man. Like, yeah, uh-huh. there, there are a lot of naysayers, a lot of people. I don't know if it's because they they just don't understand it or, you know, they want to remain relevant themselves. And so, you know, they put a stake in the ground and they're like, you know, no, I, I know this way of entertainment or I know this way of media. Um, but in my opinion, the people who are just going to be have the most experience, the most long-term success are those who adapt to change because everything is going to keep changing as much as you and I are going to adapt to, you know, the all things TikTok and Instagram right now in 10 years, which is a lifetime in the world of technology, things are probably going to look so different. And so, you know, I don't want to be left behind. I'm sure you don't either. No. And it's, Yeah. And it's not enough for, you know, a senior partner to say, oh, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. Like you, you, you simply cannot function in that way. Like you need to remain, you need, you need to remain relevant and you need to remain in the know of what's going on if you want to work in this space. Um, So I think it is, it is also, it's the, it's also the desire, right. To, to stay involved. That's so important. Well, that's so much of it, even just having simply mm-hmm. having the desire, the or curiosity, even oh, yeah. <laughs> right? like, mm-hmm. whatever motivates you, whatever pushes yeah. you forward. But um, but you got to have one of those things um, in order to just stay mm-hmm. in the thick of it. And so, you know, I love that's so cool to hear that, you know, your seemingly new company um, that's like about, you said about a year, year and a half old, um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, is growing because of social media. You're growing because of Facebook groups and the connections that you make. I'm a part of that other freelancers group that you're in. I'm a Mm -hmm. part of so many Facebook groups and there's so much to learn and to connect and so many could just connections to be made. Um, it's really fascinating. So, you know, talk to us about Facebook groups, like, was it someone that sort of tipped you off and said, you know, hey, you should check some of these out. Like there might be some business to be had here. Or did you sort of organically end up in them and and figure out that this could be, you know, income generating and lead generating? It was a mix of both. I actually like I don't do any marketing on Instagram um, just because it's a. I mean, I probably could. And I know many lawyers who do and who are very successful in it. Um, but I started out in Facebook I don't even remember the reason why. I think I was just in a place where I was trying to connect with people. And my my ethos as a lawyer is to educate my clients and and those around me. And that's that's really the reason that I started the practice is to to make legal something that's an organic part of everyone's business, no matter if you're an independent, no matter if you're part of a big company, like it shouldn't be a scary concept. 
So I went out into the Facebook world, um, you know, just with my my name, like Seema Tillich, my normal handle, just trying to see if there were opportunities that I could help the creative community. And that's where I came across freelancing females originally. Um, and I just, I would just start like commenting on people's posts when they had legal questions. I would ask questions myself about like the creative community. Um, and that just led to uh, like different conversations with people, you know, people wanted to get on the phone, so they had more specific questions. And I developed a few client relationships that way. And one of my clients, um, her name is Hillary Southwick, and I'll give her a shout out. She's a member of WIM. She's, she's the one who was like, you really need to join this group because it would be so great for you to opine on some of these issues that we all have. Um, and that's that's my introduction to WIM. So it started out sort of just an, as a way for me to help the community, um, not realizing that there were actually serious job opportunities within these groups. Yeah, no, sure. And like, and so much of it, I, I love that that was your entryway point into WIM. I don't actually know that I knew, I don't know if I knew that. I knew there was a connection to Hillary, who we love and we'll shout out again on this episode. Um, <laughs> but even her then saying, hey, like you've been great to partner with, you should join this group because there's more mm -hmm. people to help and, you know, they can help you then with getting you connections. It's just very much like it's a partnership, you know, and I think Think that that is Absolutely. something that is very unique about women doing business with each other, right? Like totally, and it and it feels like a safe space, and you can ask any question without you know like the fear of feeling stupid or you know no no question is too minor, um, and that's what I appreciate about it. It's like it really is just women helping other women. It really. Um, because we do, we do need to stand up for ourselves. I mean, I think we've all seen in those big companies that we've worked at the the male hierarchy, which which is, a, I mean, that that may be a broad stereotype, and that's not at every company, but I've seen it at so many places where I've where I work where I've worked, um, and I don't think that we need to feed into that system anymore. Which is why I love the groups and the community that we're all building. And I always recommend these groups to, to my clients and just people who are creative and independent. And I would say, look, it's like, that is, that's one of the backbones of influencer marketing there. It's, you know, it's creativity and creators. Um, I love the name of your company, by the way. I don't know if I've ever told you that. It's just such a good name. I'm so glad you got it. <laughs> um, you. you know, it's, it's funny, actually, when, when I was in law school, so like maybe back in 2012, um, I was, I was just like looking up domain names with my then boyfriend, now husband. And I was like, oh my, my gosh, this name create LLP isn't taken. Like, should I, should I secure it? He was like, I'm going to buy it for you. So he bought it for me in 2012 Thank with this friend. like hope that at some point it would turn into something. And then seven years later, like this man had paid for this domain name every year. It must have been like 14 bucks or something, but it was the cutest gesture of love. Um, and seven years later, it turned into something. So it was like, you, you never know, like you just need to trust your instincts on those things. 1000%. Oh my gosh, I love your husband. Like that's like such a modern day love story. <laughs> 
he won my heart because for seven years he paid for this domain because he believed in me <laughs> and he knew that it would amount oh, to like then we worked and it and it became what I'm doing today. I mean, how cool of a story is that I love it so so much. It's like it's like it's it's influencer marketing is again like the background of it, the the backbone of influencer marketing is the creative part of it. However, because I've always worked with creatives as well, that's my background too, is like artists aren't necessarily the most business savvy and um, they're, you know, not necessarily the ones who are going to always protect their IP, for example, and know what to even look out for um, to be able to continue to make a living doing the beautiful art that they do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we need people like you who are, you know, well-versed in that, who will always continue to be advocates um, for these incredible artists and, um, and people who are working in the space. So like, let's dig into it a little bit. Let's like chat a little bit about, you know, one of your areas of expertise, which is like licensing structures and content generation. So um, there's certainly been a trend lately towards influencers who grow and grow and grow and get to the point where they may be want they they want to start thinking about their own brand versus necessarily shouting out other people's brands all the time right um and they want to think about that long-term success and and what that could look like so talk to us a little bit about generally speaking about licensing structures um and what people should maybe keep in mind if that's something that's on their radar absolutely um rewinding just a little bit I think what's really important as influencers are growing their fan base and their following is to always consider, you know, what what appeals to them and what what reputation they want to build for themselves. <clears throat> because even as you're promoting different companies and brands, you want those brands to be aligned with your overall vision. Um, because I, I know it's like, it's nice to get that paycheck from, from a brand. Um, but for example, like one of my clients was approached by Four Loco to do an ad for them, but had no idea what Four Loco was about. Um, and not to say anything negative about the Four Loco brand, but it just wasn't in line with, with what, his, what his MO was. So you just need to do a little bit of research about the brands before you actually enter into a relationship with them. So that's that's the first piece of advice I'll give because that can, that can taint your reputation if you start off on the wrong track, but then going into intellectual property and licensing. um, One thing that people don't often understand is how copyright law works. Um, So anytime you generate any content that is, that is published online or, or written or any art that you've created that you've put pen to paper. Um, anytime you do that, there is copyright that is inherently attributable to that content. You can go one step further and you can actually file for copy a copyright registration, which lets the whole world know, or actually the United States know that you are the owner of this piece of art or writing or poetry or book or whatever content it is. Um, And and the reason that people do secure copyright registrations is really to claim damages in the event that their 
ripped off or someone infringes on their content, you have a much higher claim for damages if you have a copyright registration. That's not always feasible when you're when you're preparing content for a brand, however. So when influencers or creators are entering into relationships with brands, they need to consider a few things. So we call this usage rights. And within usage rights, you want to consider exclusivity of use, the duration of the use, the territory, and the media. Um, so I can go into each of those in detail. Yeah, um, go for it. Go first, for it. with exclusivity. Um, oftentimes, if you're creating content for a brand specifically, they're going to want the exclusive right to use that content. Um, so they, they can do that one of two ways. Either they have what's just called the exclusive right to use it, or they do a full buyout of the rights. Um, but if you're creating, say, say you're creating a video that then several brands want to use, you could do you can enter into a non-exclusive license where you hold the rights to the content and you license it to num a number of people, but they don't have exclusivity to use the content. And that's that sometimes is where you're going to get more of a bang for your buck because you're monetizing off of one piece of content in several different ways, as opposed to creating content, licensing it exclusively and irrevocably to someone where you don't have any further rights to the content. Right, so, because, because then, you know, if you have a, a shorter license to it and the brand, and it really does well for the brand, and then the brand, you know, says, oh, I want to use it further, then you have to have another conversation about those additional usage rights that are, of course, going to cost more money. So, you know, I think that what we're going to find, I hope, by chatting with you today is like, ways to protect yourself, of course, um, but also ways to strategically use some of these, um, you know, the, the, these rules and regulations and um, clauses and contracts to be able to optimize the amount of business that you're doing as well. Exactly. And what you just touched on is um, related to like the duration of the content and the type of media that the content is going in. So you know, it, you can, I, I would suggest limiting the duration to as short of a time frame as possible. Oftentimes I find that brands will want to use the content for at least a year. Um, and then within the, with the media, there's different types of media. There's, there's print, there's digital, there's billboard use, there's other sorts of commercial uses. So when you're entering into a contract with a company, you want to make sure that the scope is as narrowly defined as possible so that if they want, if, you know, if you're doing an ad for someone in a magazine, they can't then use those ads on an Instagram campaign without paying you additional money. Absolutely. Um, because again, that should cost more money. <laughs> and so exactly. you... And, you know, and, and the partnership is, is great. And I'm sure everybody hopefully wants to continue forward. Um, but uh, the best deal for the artist or the influencer, because again, we have to preface it with, you know, that's who we're looking to protect here <laughs> in this instance, right. um, is that they would want to be able to, um, to have 
it, additional income coming in if there's additional usage requests. Exactly. Um, so that's a great way of thinking about it. Um, so what about, you know, what about a brand though? <laughs> um, like what about on the other side, on the flip side of things? Um, we, we see a lot of people in WIM who are either on the agency side or the brand side. Um, and I think that at this point, I hope to see more and more people who are thinking about it all long-term, which is like, you could easily go into a negotiation and say like, I want it to be as one-sided as possible. Um, but that's also looking at it from such a shorter perspective, right? Because if it's a fair contract that you're approaching this influencer with, mm -hmm. there's there's gonna be um, a different energy about the partnership. And um, most likely everybody's gonna feel really positive about it going forward because it's somewhere in the middle, everybody is being fair um, and all parties are feeling taken care of. Um, what would your advice be um, for brands who are you know, looking to start on a partnership, maybe it's like an ambassadorship. So they're looking to get a bunch of influencers on board. Um, what are specific clauses that you think they should really keep an eye on? Um, and what are our fair versions of those clauses for them to, uh, to introduce to those influencers? That's a really good question. Um, I think what is often lacking in a lot of these agreements is a well-defined scope of services section where you specify what the influencers are actually providing for the brand, when they're delivering content, um, what the approval over that content looks like on the brand side. Um, and I think what, what is fair is just setting out exactly what a brand expects from an influencer. Um, because oftentimes like partnerships start out on this very like on these very friendly terms, um, but sometimes devolve because these the scope of services is not fully detailed. You know, someone misinterprets something, someone thinks that a deliverable is coming, but it's not actually coming because it wasn't well communicated. So as, as much as we want to keep these agreements short and concise, we really need to spell out what the scope of services and the deliverables are and then from the brand perspective, they're always going to want to have full ownership over the content, especially if they're, if they're considering that this is like a commission project where the influencer is providing these services for the brand. Um, they will want to have ownership over that content and to be able to use that content in several other ways. Um, and may maybe they won't ever use the content again, but they'll want to reserve the right to do so. For sure, for sure. Um, but I think that that is so interesting about, um, and I hope everyone listening is taking note that if you're really gonna focus on any part of the contract and making it better, it's gonna be the scope of work. Um, and I, I've experienced that personally um, where after, after services are delivered and the content is sent over for approval, there seems to be all of a sudden some discrepancy on 
what we're doing here in the first place. Um, and that is really, isn't that the whole point of having a contract to, to clarify those things so that you can have a healthy working relationship moving forward. Um, I, I, I hear you on that too, when you were saying, you know, I know everyone's looking to have shorter and shorter contracts, right? Like there has to be a minimum barrier to entry sort of like if it's a, mm -hmm. you know, a half a million dollar deal, of course, it's not going to be a one or two page contract. Yeah. A lot of people are looking to do influencer marketing at scale. So they do look to, to have the contract be shorter. Um, so at least put your energy at the very least into really nailing down the, the scope of work. I think that that's wonderful to hear. Absolutely. And what's also been helpful for me in, in drafting this contracts is just like one top sheet of all of the material deal terms, which would contain, you know, the, the time frame, the exclusivity, the media duration of use and the scope of services all on the first page and then having like a set of standard terms that follow that, which could be like two to three pages long um, in text that might not be, you know, the same size as the top sheet, which is perhaps the most important page, although all of those terms and conditions certainly matter. Um, but just to make it more presentable, because I, I often find that in the influencer space, the the contracts are sometimes lacking in a lot of like the terms that we do need like representations and warranties um if a brand is hiring an influencer to do work they want that influencer to represent and warrant that the work is original that they're not infringing on anyone's content so all of all of the standard terms are also very necessary um but oftentimes having a top sheet with the material terms is very helpful and is, is less scary to look at. Absolutely. And can I tell you from um, in my former life being a manager and doing these deals all day long, um, it can be so frustrating when, um, and I, I still see this to this day, um, when brands and agencies approach influencers for partnerships in the first place, and they'll say, all right, I'm looking for two Instagram posts. What's your rate? And all of these questions that you're asking are, are necessary in order to provide an, a, an accurate rate, which is, okay, what do the usage rights look like? Is there any exclusivity? And they're like, you know, oh yeah, it's going to be on, on social media, but for how long, <laughs> you know, there's exclusivity. Oh, it's against, uh, I don't know, everything, in electronics, all electronics. Do you really need all electronics or can we narrow that down yeah. a bit? Like, oh, it'll be for a year, a year from when, a year from, you know, when the contract is signed, a year from when uh, the last post goes live and there's, you know, 15 posts. So all of these details are hugely important. Um, and I hope that people listening um, and people in our industry start to really educate themselves a bit more on all of those nuanced details. Mm -hmm. I get that there's a lot to it, but it'll also help us just do our work better if we're all really on the same page about what they are, right? Yeah, and Jesse, that's such a good point because I'll, I'll also see in our group when people will like post like, hey, I have to do two Instagram posts. Like, what would you guys charge for this? And it's not, it's not so much about the rate, right? Like compensation matters, but how long are you going to be tied to that piece of content and how long, you know, are you going to have to be exclusive in the fashion space and not render any promotional services for any other, for any other brand, right? So you're 
totally right. You need to ask all of these questions up front and you can't simply just give a rate blindly because if you give a rate, you say like what, a thousand dollars, but then they're buying out everything and you didn't anticipate that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hot tip for any managers listening or any influencers listening. You know, if someone really pushes and asks a question like that, like, well, you know, I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to the usage or I don't know the answer to the exclusivity. You could always just say, you know, my rates for an Instagram post start at X amount, but it dep- it'll be right. contingent upon knowing more about the usage, you know, exclusivity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so even like the language that you use outside of a contract in preparation for a contract, I think is super Mm -hmm. important. It really like sets the groundwork. So to that point, question for you, um, you know, how, so you have a contract, obviously you, you want a contract for partnerships that you work on, but there's a lot that goes into email correspondence beforehand. How legally binding are email correspondences if there, if something does go awry in relation to a contract after? That's a really good question. Um, so email correspondences, well, backing up, um, an agreement isn't official until it's signed. So you can have all of the deal terms laid out. You could even like start rendering services to a certain degree, but unless you have a signed contract, um, case law, at least in California, suggests that there's no, there's no agreement. And is that, that said, countersigned or is just one party can sign it? Ideally countersigned. Okay. But if, if, if one party has signed it, they're sort of de facto adhe- like saying that they adhere to the terms, right? So ideally you have a signed contract, but leading up to that, we all have to enter into these deal terms over email and, you know, try to finalize the terms. What I like to do is include the words rights reserved or reserving rights after each set of terms is sent back and forth. So if you do have any modifications or changes to those terms that you've sent out, you can always point back and say, well, I reserve my right to comment further. I had additional edits and comments. So this is the new draft. This is, these are the terms we're working off of. Um, because sometimes, sometimes things come up, right? Like if you have another partnership and then that partnership weighs in on your terms of this deal, you may have to modify the terms of the new deal that you're entering into. Um, and you also don't want to always, um, adhere to those terms that you've agreed. I mean, it's, it is in bad form though, once you've adhered to a set of terms or agreed upon a set of terms to go back. So ideally, you know, do your research before you send an email out with any terms. Um, But the opinion of myself, as well as many other attorneys, is there's no deal until an agreement is signed. A hundred percent. And I think here's another thing that I found I'd love your opinion on. So, you know, you go back and forth and back and forth in email. Then you start going back and forth and back and forth in red lines. (laughs) And then you finally come to an agreement. I have personally experienced that, you know, upon going all these back and forth, that certain things get 
left out, changed, whatever. Let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt and just say it was an it was a it was a mistake. It was a human error. But you know, I've reviewed the contract one final time and noticed that there's a discrepancy. So let's say I didn't notice that, um, and you know, a version of the red line that we agreed to didn't ultimately make it into the final contract. I guess my question is, and this is of course a hypothetical, but let's say you get to a point where you're, you know, working on a partnership, something goes awry, you go to point out this part of the contract that you remember being accepted as a red line, and it didn't ultimately make it, you know, what do you do about in something like that instance, I feel like part of it is like, what do you legally do? But I think mostly what do you do? Just what's the best practice there is the question, you know? There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. I mean, I hate to say this, but the first thing you should do is call your lawyer. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it, it is worth digging through those red lines again and pointing out to the other side that this is something we agreed to. It didn't make it into the final red line. In contract law, there has to be a meeting of the minds and an understanding of the mutually agreed upon terms. So if that was something that you guys agreed to or the the parties agreed to, didn't make it in the terms, but then there's um, a dispute down the line, at that point, you could bring up all of these other documents, um, but it it does get complicated. And at that point, you would necessarily need to have lawyers involved. And what is your opinion about you know, how aggressive, Uh, I mean, unless, unless the, unless the other party is okay with it. Sure. Sure. That's true. That's true. That's important to point out. And I I think that actually, that really does very nicely transition into my follow-up question, which is, I think that, um, you know, a lot, most of the people in the industry are relying on their lawyers from, for guidance. Um, a lot of lawyers in this space, aren't litigators, right? So with that in mind, and the fact that it's such a a relationship business, are there any is are there any general tips that you would advise people who are negotiating deals every day on like, I don't know, the level of assertiveness or the level of detail orientedness or, you know, this is this, you know, without getting into it too much, you know, this is a a female dominated industry. And there are women that are negotiating deals every day, who are trying to figure out what type of negotiator am I? What type of negotiator should I be? How assertive do I get in this instance, that instance? It's a loaded question that I'm sure we could spend a whole podcast talking about, but are there any sort of tips or, you know, any guidance that you would give to our our listeners about that? I think that everyone has their own style. Um, I've worked with attorneys who are yellers and who will get on the phone and scream at opposing counsel and at people they're they're, um, negotiating with. Um, I have... I've experienced other attorneys who will just negotiate over email 
um, some attorneys who get very specific over minor points in an agreement. And I think that it's just a very personal, it's a very personal thing. Like a negotiating style um, can be however, however you want it to be. I think it needs to be what feels comfortable to the person who's negotiating the deal. Um, personally, I don't like talking through a deal, like various deal points over a phone call, you know, that sometimes I find that some attorneys will just get on the phone and want to talk over one point here and there. And it's like a series of three minute phone calls, which I just, it's just not my style. I'd rather just get everything done in a red line and, and a draft or an email, but everyone has their own style. Like I, I prefer to take more of a mellow approach because I don't think that this needs to be so complicated or contentious. Um, I've been in, a, in situations where things need to be contentious and oftentimes these deals don't have to be. So it really, it really is like a personal style thing. And I, I wish I could give more guidance on that, but you just need to do what feels comfortable and, and don't feel intimidated by other people's approach to things. Cause I've, I've also negotiated against people who've been in the space for like 30 years and that can be intimidating sometimes when it seems like they have so much more experience than I do. And maybe they are like yellers and maybe they do want to get on the phone and like scream it out with me. But my personal style is just to take a step back and have a more like calm approach to it. But yeah, that doesn't resonate with everyone. Sure. I think uh, what I'm getting from what you're saying, I think is hugely valuable. I think that um, it, it is, it's a personal choice, but I love what you're saying about, you know, just don't be intimidated by the other side simply because they have 30 years of experience or their client is huge or whatever the reason is. Um, you all are at this table for a reason. You're all negotiating the same deal and you're, you know, you're, you're at that table. So, um, the intimidation factor hopefully doesn't, it doesn't have to be there. It shouldn't be there. Yeah. And especially for these sorts of deals for influencer marketing, it doesn't need to be like a horrendous conversation. Right. Or like it, like it, it's, it, it can be nuanced, but it doesn't need to be overly complicated or difficult. Yeah. Um, so, so stay, stay true to your personal style is, is my advice there. Absolutely. And I hope that more people um, I, I just hope that there's always an underlying level of respect for both sides. I think that will really keep the relationship healthy and on track. Um, because in the few conversations that I've had where it has felt contentious in the past with certain people, like it usually is that it's like, oh, like they're just an influencer, like, or, you know, I'm, I'm this huge brand and like, they don't have any rights to, you know, who are they to demand this or demand that? It's a lack right. of respect for the other side. And that's very unfortunate when that happens. Um, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a good idea then to just reevaluate the whole relationship if that's what you're Absolutely. getting. Absolutely. You know, a hundred percent because it should be a partnership in these sorts of deals, right? Like you're, you're working together to create something good. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be something that's scary or where you get an email from that person and your heart immediately like jumps or skips a beat because you're so nervous about what that email is going to contain. That's not what these relationships should be like. And, and I think that that's the fear that a lot of people have when they hear 
that a lawyer is negotiating it or there's like legal is involved. Um, or even when, even just getting a contract, it, it some people feel that it's like the scary document, but it really doesn't have to be. It just sets out the terms of your understanding. Um, so there, there shouldn't be any fear in entering into a relationship, uh, both business and personal. <laughs> and if there is, I think that you just need to reevaluate that. Trust your gut, ladies. Trust your gut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we ask this question of everybody who comes on the podcast. I'm really excited to ask you. So what do you wish, Seema, that someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? Ooh, um, I think I would have, I wish someone had told my younger self to just be confident and to follow my heart. Um, when I was younger, and even like when I went to college, I was in a pre-dental program. Um, my parents are both dentists and they really wanted that for me. Um, and so I kind of went along with it, this young kid. Um, but I, I, at one point even had asked my mother, like, what if I became a lawyer one day? And she was like, no, no, you should become a dentist. And I, I think at each step of the way, I don't know if it's, um, just my personal background or because I'm a woman, but I feel like people always have their opinions on what we're supposed to do and what the right career trajectory would be to have a stable family life or you know, the, the most stable and lucrative thing that someone thinks is best for you. Um, but that never plays out the way it's supposed to. So I wish, you know, someone had just told me to stay true and to be confident and not to worry about disappointing people. Well, you certainly haven't disappointed anyone because you've been so successful. But more than that, I just love our conversations. I, I believe in what you're doing. I think you're doing wonderful things for our industry. And like the way that you do it is really impressive. Um, oh, I, I thank can you. And likewise, Jesse. Thank you. But thank you very, very much. I, you know, in the conversations that we had, I'm just like, you are so necessary. Um, I'm so happy you're in our group so that you can just help more people we, you know, we only know what we know. And we need to partner with great people like you to be able to, you know, educate us on the other side of things that are so integral to the work that we're doing. I have a feeling that so many of the women listening are absolutely going to want to get in touch with you. And I hope that they do. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch? Email is great. Um, I think you'll, you'll drop it here, but it's Seema at createllp.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram, though I probably would check my email more than that. But our Instagram is at create underscore LLP. Personally, it's at Seema Dreama because got to keep it cool and casual. <laughs> <laughs> Seema Dreama, it's been the best having you on the podcast today. I love that name so much. Keeping it real. <laughs> I love it. Um, we are also planning to have Seema do an event with us sometime soon. So I'm very excited for when we can announce that. So keep an eye out for that. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jesse. And we all appreciate everything that you've done for the group and creating the group and creating this amazing community for us all to participate in. So the most thanks goes to you. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been such a pleasure, Seema. Thank you so, so much.
Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Oh, hey kiddo. How was the hill? Educational. Oh, learn a new trick? Yeah, the trick to a happy, fulfilling life maybe. I learned that mountain air unleashes my inner peace. And rip and pow while the whole crew's all, you induces spontaneous joy. Okay, uh, that's nice. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com. Millions of Americans are getting back to work. Career Builder calls it the Great Rehire. And we want to help you get the best jobs before everyone else. CareerBuilder gives you the competitive edge to get the job you want, at the salary you want, with the benefits you want. We even send job alerts so your perfect job lands right in your inbox. Go to CareerBuilder.com today or get left with whatever jobs are left. Find your next job fast at CareerBuilder.com.